Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in our Kung Fu Panda movie review series. Today we are reviewing Kung Fu Panda 2. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. If you want to know about the production of Kung Fu Panda 2, how well it did at the box office, what critics, what audiences thought of it, Alan and I talk all about that in your guide to Kung Fu Panda 2. That came out last Thursday. That's the first link in the description down below. And while you're down there, after you're done with this podcast, we have a curated list of other episodes we think you'd enjoy listening to we curate that for every single episode so you can keep on listening you don't have to sort through the archives yourself if you don't want to we definitely encourage you to sort through the archives check out what we've got as well because we have movies from every genre now and across the spectrum of decades that we've reviewed also make sure to follow me and alan on letterbox so you can see what we're watching throughout the week and you can compare our ratings with your own also we are on all major podcast platforms links to those links to our facebook our twitter our official website Of course, definitely head over to our Patreon page where you can get fantastic bonus content. That's a more personal environment for you to interact with us one-on-one, and it really does financially help us. Of course, if you're ready to jump straight into the review, timestamps are always down there as well. That lets you jump around. You don't have to go on a wild goose chase hunting through the episode to get where you want to go and find out what our thoughts are throughout this episode. And of course, no matter where you're listening, just leaving us five stars is really helpful, actually. And even a short written review, that is the best free way to support us is to leave us five stars. That helps us get noticed in the rankings. That's just a free, easy way to grow the Silver Screen Guide community without really even trying. That's just a great way to give us the five stars and the algorithms. You always hear about the algorithms. (laughs) The algorithm does the rest. So right now, go ahead, leave us five stars, a short written review. We really appreciate it. And that helps us reach our goal of becoming verified critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Ellen, I gotta ask, do you remember the trailer for Kung Fu Panda 2? Were you curious about this movie whatsoever when you saw the trailer like pop up on TV? Um, I'm trying to remember if I've seen this. It, I think I have seen this. Um, probably saw it in the theater. Um, so I would say I would have been a little bit curious. I definitely didn't watch it until a couple years after it had released. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I would I would love to think that I had seen the first Kung Fu Panda before I saw the trailer. Saw the trailer for this one so i didn't see it in the theater i don't have a i don't have a a ticket for it but i probably was interested if i remember right um but i guess i wasn't interested enough to see it in the theater at least back in 2011 but if you did see the trailer now what would your thoughts be is this a movie like this if this movie is coming out now and you saw the trailer would you go check it out at theaters I might, I might, because I was surprised by the first one. So mm-hmm. I would be curious to see what the, you know, the second one would have too. So yeah, I probably would end up seeing this in the theater at some point. I think I'd probably wait to see, you know, if it's any good. Um, but, you know, I probably would end up at the theater at some point, I think. Yeah, judging by the teaser trailer, I think the teaser trailer is for kids. But the main theatrical trailer I think it looks like a worthy follow-up and I would go see it in theaters with my wife or family. I will say I don't remember the theatrical trailer though. In 2011, I would have been 16. So I was probably in the middle of high school. Kung Fu Panda really wasn't in my sights for going to the theater to see movies. Um, Alan and I talked about Thor. I don't remember if Thor will make it into the guide once it's all edited but thor was definitely something we were more curious to go see at that point yeah and we were in the theater for that one we tried to see we were talking about this afterwards after we recorded the background tried to see um what was it uh on stranger tides 
Parts mm-hmm. of the Caribbean. It was sold out. Came back the next weekend, or at least I came back the next weekend and was able to see it in the IMAX. Um, but yeah, we ended up going for Thor on, in 3D instead. It was like yes. hardly anybody in the theater. We saw <laughs> that too. Now, I will say I did want to see this movie when it came out. I just never got around to it. It's one of those movies I always planned on going to the theater to see. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this in our review of the Karate Kid series. I always meant to go see the 2010 Karate Kid reboot, but it just passed me by. It came and went theatrically. I never got around to it until home viewing. So this is my first time seeing Kung Fu Panda 2. I knew nothing about this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've definitely seen this a couple of times. I think I I think it ended up being when I was in college when I finally did end up watching Kung Fu Panda 2. But I think I've seen this a couple of times. Uh, It's been a number of years, but I definitely seen it once or twice. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Kung Fu Panda 2 and you don't want the film spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film. You might find it floating around for free on some streaming platforms or some that you subscribe to. It seems to be floating around out there. Go ahead, watch the film, and then come back and click play, and we'll be ready to talk about it. Lord Shen, voiced by Gary Oldman, the future ruler of Gungwen City, is perversely fascinated with fireworks. He wishes to harness the firepower to dominate all of China. His parents, concerned with his authoritarian desires, consult a soothsayer, voiced by Michelle Yeoh, who predicts his downfall at the hands of a black and white warrior. Shen, along with his wolf brigade, seemingly slaughters the entire panda population. He is banished from the city by his parents but vows to return and all of China would bow at his feet. Poe, voiced by Jack Black, still kicking and eating with the Furious Five, learns his dad, voiced by James Hong, adopted him. After an encounter with the Wolf Brigade, stirs in him visions of his forgotten past. Meanwhile, Shen comes back to Gungman City, where he defeats Master Rhino, voiced by Victor Garber, and imprisons Master Ox, voiced by Dennis Haysbert, and Croc, voiced by none other than Jean-Claude Van Damme, (laughs) using his new metallic weapon. Assuming his new weapon is undefeatable, the old soothsayer still foretells he will be defeated by a panda. Master Shifu, voiced by Dustin Hoffman, sends the six to take out Shin. They sneak into the city where they try to break Master Ox and Master Croc out of jail, but come to find the two have given up. Kung Fu is dead, according to them. It's time to surrender. The six go on a city chase where they are ultimately captured. They destroy the weapon, but Shen gets away and fires off more of the same weapons at them. They must escape the collapsing tower, and then Tigris is mad Poe lets Shen escape, so she wants to keep him in jail with Croc and Ox. But Poe has to know why he keeps seeing visions of his mother. He confronts Shen at his factory when Shen tells Poe his parents never loved him, while firing a cannonball sending him into the river, where he is picked up by the soothsayer. She helps him unlock his memories. In fact, he's in the childhood village where the massacre happened. He remembers his mother hid him in his adoptive father's radish cart as she sacrificed her life to save him. The five are taken captive once again. Shin parades them chained up through the city on river boats. Poe returns to save his friends and the city. Shifu comes to help along with Croc and Ox, but Shin fires his penultimate weapon, seemingly defeating all of them. Alas, Poe finds inner peace and pushes all the cannonballs away. He fights fist to fist with Shen one last time, finally defeating the deranged peacock. Poe reunites with his father as they affirm their love for each other and cook up some dinner as we're taken far across China to reveal Poe's father is alive and thriving in a panda community as credits roll. So the first thing we talked about last time um, or last week with Kung Fu Panda 1 was, at least when I was a kid seeing it in the theater, I was like, what in the world? Why are they <laughs> showing a 2D opening and oh, yeah. a CG 3D animated movie? Mm-hmm. I remember it confused me. Um, they do something a little bit different here. It's not an animated opening, although there are there is some 2D animation sprung throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, it's more like, uh, like paper um, stop motion. Which I thought to be, I found to be very interesting um, because it is, again, kind of a uh, more of a Chinese thing, traditional mm-hmm. thing. So, kind of again, not starting off with, you know, 3D animation. It's starting off with something a little bit different. 
um, some different a different form of animation. Um, but I, I like I think I like this a lot. Like it looks really cool, especially with you know what backstory they're telling with you know the character of Shen. Yeah, it does look really good. And I've seen this in a number of other Chinese movies where they kind of are like paper puppets, and they're put mm -hmm. the their um light is cast in front of a screen sometimes uh it's very interesting i actually do like this opening this animation better than last time it's very creative it's a nice you know homage to the chinese tradition of that paper puppet storytelling um mm -hmm. it's a it's a good way of setting up the story last time we kind of get an insight into post dreams this time it's actually setting up the bad guy which was very interesting. It almost makes me wish maybe instead of Poe's dream last time, we could have got a paper style opening of Tai Lung and how Tai Lung came to, you know, go his own way. Now you're right. right the 2D animation does come back, but it comes back in the form of Poe's dreams and flashbacks, which I'm glad they incorporated that too. Yeah, there's definitely, they're keeping that consistent where, you know, if it's in Poe's dreams and it's, you know, 2D animation. Um, but that's also another thing too, you know, we, the last time, you know, it was kind of joked or almost hinted at that, you know, obviously Mr. Ping, you know, post-doctor father <laughs> is not really his father. Right. Um, but they don't really go down that route in the first one. It's kind of just like a, like a subtle joke that they have. This time around, you know, this is like the main focus of the story is, you know, Poe wanting to know where exactly he came from um because clearly he has he does not belong where everybody <laughs> else in the village um and at a, after a certain moment in the in the story he starts having flashbacks of when his mom his real mom had you know dropped him off so that becomes like you know of course the main crux of the story is Poe's search to find you know where he came from where you know his legacy is he, he wanted to know what happened to his parents he wants to find the truth um which i mean for a kid's film you know not necessarily anything super new, but I think where the interest lies is uh, how they go about, you know, going down Poe's journey to find the truth. They do tease it throughout the movie. He keeps kind of having, he's like triggered by this symbol and he keeps mm. getting these visions. And you're right, it was joked about in the first movie, but it is logical to explore why Poe is the only panda around, mm -hmm. why is his dad a like a goose it is kind of funny to look back through that and it's a little dark i would say ultimately once we get to the flashback so they're really not pulling too many punches and that's something i do like about this series um so far at least is they are kind of tackling some heavy subjects Mm -hmm. But it, but they are still doing it in a way that I think kids can watch. The last time was talking about, you know, not feeling worthy. Tai Long and Poe both felt that way. This time is insecurity about your place. Even the villain is insecure about, you know, his place, his abilities. And so we get to see him compensate with his new technology, which I, I like that. I like that they bring introduce technology to this ancient world where this probably would have, I mean, it, clearly this is all fictional, but eventually mm. there was this kind of um, iron and metal and cannonballs and stuff introduced. So no, no longer were people fighting with their fists. They were fighting with weapons that shot things. I think that's a smart thing to bring in. Yeah, I think it definitely is. It's starting to get more into industrialization. Not quite, but it's getting kind of close. Um, but it is also kind of interesting that, you know, with the cannons that Shin has, right, it's almost somewhat poetic that, you know, at the very end of the story, the thing that he built up, the army and the technology that he built up ends up being the thing that ultimately destroys him, right? It's the thing that really puts the nail in the coffin for him when he and Poe are fighting and it's this cannon, his own cannon that he built, which is his, you know, his, his sense of power ends up being the thing that kills him in the end. Um, it's an interest. It's also an interesting villain because, along with that, since along with power and how he becomes like kind of obsessed with it, um, you know, he and Poe come very from very similar places. Where uh, Shin believes his parents abandoned him because they didn't love him anymore, um, when in reality they were trying to stop him from you know being consumed by power. Versus Poe, who ended up being on the receiving end of what Shin wanted to do. And it's really Shin's fault that, you know, Poe's parents are gone. 
but in either case, you know, parents are absent. The real biological parents are absent in the situation for both of these characters. Um, makes it kind of interesting um, when, you know, Poe doesn't have parents necessarily until, of course, the third movie comes around. Um, and he wants to know where he came from. And the only way he can know is, you know, confronting the thing that pulled him away from his own parents. Yeah, you're right. That's something I actually wrote about in my conclusion is there is kind of that mirroring of backstories with these characters. I think they only skimmed the surface with it, unfortunately. I think they could have invested a bit more in Shen as a character and his backstory and like kind of tied them a little closer together. But at least there's, at least we noticed that. So the, clearly they were trying to bring that in. And I understand this isn't like an epic, clearly pose our character. We need to understand him more than we understand our villain. But, you know, at least we're exploring his origins. So I like that. So the other thing that I was surprised about, but, you know, I was glad to see this is straight up a retelling of either the Moses story or the Christ story where the um, the Jews were slaughtered by the Pharaoh or um, Herod slaughtered the infants in Nazareth. And Poe is kind of, you know, the last of his kind. He escapes. Um, he has to learn about what happened, where he came from, and he's kind of the chosen one. Poe is the chosen one, just like Moses was, just like Jesus was. And, you know, they kind of have to come back when they're older and kind of, I don't know what you want to say, overthrow the system or something. And of right. course, there's the prophecy that Poe would be born, he would come and rule. That's the whole reason um, Herod had the babies killed was because of the prophecy and whatnot. He didn't want anyone challenging the claim to his throne. I couldn't, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. But I guess in some ways it makes sense because DreamWorks is founded by um, Spielberg and Katzenberg and they're Jewish. Mm -hmm. So they made the Prince of Egypt, which is a retelling of the Moses story. So there are right. no strangers to this, but believe it or not, this is a Christ story. I was surprised to see that. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I never really, never really noticed that until you started talking about, until you mentioned Moses. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I think you're <laughs> right. Um, no, you're right. There is definitely some, you know, biblical allegories in the story, like straight mm -hmm. up um, with that retelling of the Moses story, but with the animated panda who learns kung fu. <laughs> um, and that's kind of another thing, too, is uh, you mentioned that this movie does come a little bit dark there towards the, about, the, about before the third act, right? Mm -hmm. Um which is another thing that I'm surprised by how serious this movie go goes. Again, being a movie about an animated panda who learns Kung Fu. Um, it's surprising how, you know, how kind of far they go with something like this, where yeah. beforehand, you know, death, when it comes to, you know, actually killing something, it was maybe on the table. I remember we had, we talked about like what happened to Tai Lung at the end of the first one, whereas with this one, it's very much a concern where, you know, Shin's out for blood. He wants to kill, you know, Poe. So that and also him coming to terms with, you know, where, who he is and where his parents came from. It's all some surprisingly heavier subjects that I wasn't expecting out of a movie called Kung Fu Panda. It is some heavier subjects, but I i mean, I think it helps that they kind of do more of the 2D animation. I think it softens it a little bit and mm. it's not totally the main crux. But one of the other things that they didn't disappoint me on here is the fighting. Oh, I yeah. think the Kung Fu aspects are are exciting some of them brought a smile to my face particularly when we get to see poe fight with the five for the first time and now he has joined them we never really got to see that before in the last film but now mm -hmm. they're fighting we get to see him fight with the wolf brigade and um it's it definitely is exciting so they nailed that right off the bat for me yeah absolutely um i remember we talked about last week Remember I brought up that, you know, this Kung Fu Panda number one, the fights just continue to get better until I felt like the ending was a bit more, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the same way. Um, but with this one, it's the same kind of thing. These fights are great and they kind of just keep getting better. I would say probably the best one is when they are, is when Shin, you know, tries to take down the building that oh, they're yeah. all in and they have to run across, uh, or they, they, they've got to run the side to escape. 
Mm -hmm. always been a favorite of mine. It, these fight scenes are great. And this time around, I feel like, you know, they're way better. And not just in terms of the fight scenes. I feel like a number of things in this movie are way better than last time. Of course, the fight scenes. Right. Um, but also, like, just in terms of animation, because we did note that, you know, last time, while it is from 2008, you know, it is a little bit dated, uh, not necessarily any, any fault of the film, but this time around, the animation is better. I, f I feel like, and we can maybe talk about this in a second, I feel like the story is a bit better. Um, the characters, especially when it comes to how what they do with Poe, I think that is better. You know, the movie, to me, is hilarious. So I feel like, for me at least, it's a great sequel, especially from where it came from in almost every aspect. Yeah, Hans Zimmer's score nailed it again. Hans Zimmer mm -hmm. and John Powell came back to score this film. You can tell they are really investing a lot in this movie to make it the best they can. I mean, for Pete's sakes, they got Gary Oldman to voice the villain. And Gary Oldman brings it. He's not just here for a payday, mind you. He really is, I think, does a great job voicing this villain. And everybody came back. I think once everybody saw the box office and the critical acclaim last time, we talked about this, I think, for something else, where at first Marvel movies were like, uh, okay. Well, and then when it became the biggest franchise of all time, now everybody wants to be in a Marvel movie. So they really do up their game. Yeah, I think the character movements are a lot smoother. I notice I like these new character designs for different creatures. We have more creatures than we did the time before. Um, and that tower escape is super exciting. And they do use the um, slow motion effectively, I would say. There's, there's a lot of good physics. I think that's yeah. something the first one nailed, but this one even more like the physics of how everything like moves and stuff, uh, how gravity interacts with things feels very realistic, very exciting. Uh, I just really like the environment and world of this uh, new movie. Yeah, and they definitely do this. They definitely, you know, explore this world a bit more. Where last time, and not necessarily, you know, mm -hmm. necessarily a criticism of the last time, but they pretty much only stuck to the village um, we kind of went outside to the jail, but that was really about as far as it went. Yeah. Um, whereas this time we go to a completely different place. And at the very end of the story, we find out that there's way far out there in the middle of nowhere, there's also a community of pandas. So, you know, this we I think does a better job at like building its world too. It just kind of, again, just expands on what's already been built up because we also get to see along with just, you know, new locations, because I think half of we takes place in Gangman City. Um, we do get to see, you know, more masters of Kung Fu with Croc and, uh, and Rhino. Um, mm -hmm. we get, of course, get to see that Shin is a, a, of course, a new villain who has been already been here and is now coming back. So there's a lot of things in here that I think that in terms of world building that they're doing to make the world of Kung Fu Panda even bigger, which I'm very happy about because you know now we're not stuck within the village we're able to see that you know this definitely when they say all of china they really mean that you know there are other villages other than just the village that we've been in for at least the first movie that was a breath of fresh air to go to new locations i think we mm -hmm. could only stay at the jade palace for so long right i can only look at their training room for so long and that that is where like the movie begins i think but then they do go out of there pretty quickly they do take Shifu out of it. He, Dustin Hoffman isn't going to stick around for the whole time. Uh, mm. I did like how he came back at the end. It was, it was interesting. I think they're kind of taking a little bit from Avengers there. I was a fit. Avengers wasn't out yet, was it? No, I think it came out in 2012 because okay, Thor, right. Thor would come out this, the same year that this released. So I think Avengers was next. Yeah. That's right. It is, it is what's kind of surprising to see this kind of beat Avengers to the punch of kind of having mm -hmm. all of these ensemble heroes come together and do the slow mo of them all fighting there at the very end on the river boats was pretty exciting. That was a unique location for a fight, I thought. And the final showdown is really cool. I'm getting this like Neo yeah. Matrix vibes when he basically, uh, just essentially what Neo does, he becomes one with the system and he's just like pushing the cannonballs away. He's all alone, like out in the sea, like him against the world. And I, I gotta be honest, Alan, I got, I actually got some chills when I see like the yin yang symbol as Poe po rolls up with the final cannonball and he turns into oh, yep. the symbol. I was like, oh, that's, that's okay. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yep. And the yin yang this time, I, th I 
think it was visualized in the first one. Mm. Um, I don't think it was necessarily anything in your face, but this time around, and we'll find out with next week, they do show it and really rely on it a, a lot more. This one makes a bit more sense because it is about Poe while he is trying to find the truth, also trying to achieve inner peace with what the truth would end up being. Um, and of course, it makes a little bit more sense uh, visually when, you know, he finally obtains it and is able to defeat Shin and then, you know, becomes a yin yang as it's spinning around um, mm -hmm. versus, of course, the opposite side where as Shin is just trying to attack um, and has none of that. So they do, you know, show that visual of the yin yang a lot in this movie and next week as well, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, again, it, it kind of makes sense because also Poe was um, a panda, so black and white are kind of the big colors of a panda bear, uh, which is also, of course, the colors of the yin yang. Yes, that is true. Now, I know you mentioned the humor earlier. There is some really funny stuff in this movie. Some of my some of the moments I thought were the funniest is when um, Poe is coming up the stairs up the tower and Shen is getting really scared of this dragon warrior. Oh, Come yeah. to find out he's on the gorilla's back. He can't get up the stairs anymore. Um, and then Tigris kicks the spear out of the guard's hand and you get like this brief reaction of the guard like freaking out. She just did that. And then, of mm -hmm. course, I, I actually cracked up when Tigris gives Poe a hug and you just see Crane's mouth drop open. That actually oh, yeah. got an audible laugh out of me. Yeah. One of my, I have to say, just in general, Monkey, who is played by Jackie Chan, mm -hmm. is probably my favorite character in this entire movie because every oh, time wow. Monkey is on screen, he makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> um, there is a, there's a scene when um, they're getting ready to leave the village and Poe, Mr. Ping, um, gives Poe, you know, his backpack with food and also has his Furies 5 action figures in it. And so when it's Poe's over, you know, those action figures fall out and uh, Monkey starts laughing at Poe. Uh, for whatever reason, the way that they edit that laugh is just hilarious to me. When it's, it's all it is, is just Monkey laughing. Um, so mm -hmm. Monkey by far is my favorite character in this entire movie. Every time he's on screen, especially when it's for a comedic scene, it's always making me laugh. I will say I think they were able to utilize the Furious Five a little more than last time. I yeah. feel like last time they were just kind of the cool kids on the block. And now I feel like they're much more of a team. They have more of a connection as far as characters go. Mm. And I think I think that's even more so true with Kung Fu Panda 3. We will talk about that next week. So as we mentioned, no, Shin, the villain, is played by Gary Oldman. Um, and this is a role where, you know, I feel like it's um, like a really good choice, like almost a perfect choice for the villain and the, also the design of the villain, um, because he's a peacock, right? But it looks like he's made his talons out of metal, um, and is almost like a ninja of, of sorts that he hides a lot of knives as almost like their feathers and whatnot. So personally, I really enjoy Shen as a villain, um, Mostly on just design alone, but of course, you know, how he affects Poe is also very important as well. But I really like Shin as a villain. Um, he seems very, you know, from what they make him out to be very formidable. And I really enjoy how they handled him. He has a great character design. You could tell they really put a lot of thought into. And I think it subverts our expectations. Last time Poe mm -hmm. fought like the scary jaguar type creature this time he's fighting a peacock which you wouldn't think would be very scary but they introduce him in the 3d realm at least with his yeah it's like metallic talons and his feathers kind of shoot out instead of a beautiful rainbow peacock colors is very off-putting like white and red he does seem very creepy and menacing and he isn't quite physically imposing per se but he is a smarter villain than what we saw with Tai Lung because he has crafted this technology that nobody's ever seen before and of course honestly I think what sells it for me is just Gary Oldman's voice acting you could tell Gary Oldman changed his voice pretty well to sound like this really deranged creature uh, I really like this villain as well now, there are a couple things that I was disappointed about, not a lot, and there's one thing that I do think is bad about this movie that I'm very disappointed about, you could say. I still think they, the I called them NPCs, they're not NPCs, they're just the background characters. I still think they look cheap, 
I think those characters are utilizing the 2008 technology, whereas they put more of their money into the main players. I get that. They don't really need to look fantastic, but there is kind of this contrast, I feel like, when side characters are on the screen. But, um, you know, I will say the humor does work most of the time. I did find a lot of it to be funny. Once in a while, I felt like they're trying a little too hard, at least for me. Yeah. When Poe was like, got into the tower and he's like my old enemy. And then he looks up and I see the stairs and I wish he wouldn't have said stairs because that kind of ruined it for me. I just think, mm -hmm. and this is something we'll talk about in the third one. I think sometimes we're starting to see the humor be a little like called out too much, whereas they don't need to spell it out quite that much. I think for me, um, so far these two movies, not every joke lands. Mm -hmm. Um, not not no. by a long shot. I think that <laughs> the second one, I feel like was had more jokes that connected with me that I laughed at than the first one did. Um, but you're right. There are some a lot of repeats. There's a lot of callbacks. There's a you know stairs. My old enemy, like you just mentioned, is probably the bigger one of the bigger ones. You're right. There are some jokes that I'm just like, ah, okay. Um, I think, but I think for the most part, as a whole, I think. If I were to pick, you know, which one I think is funnier, Kung Fu Panda 1 or 2, I would have to say probably 2, because I found myself laughing a lot more with Kung Fu Panda 2 than the first one, personally. That one's hard for me. I think you're probably right. I think this one, I noticed laughing a little bit more, actually. The one other thing I found disappointing is this plot feels a little bit more run of the mill where the character has to learn about himself and then defeat the bad guy. Like that's essentially the plot of the first movie. They do some different stuff here, but it felt a little generic, which is something I think they're slightly ahead of Marvel on this one. But this is what Marvel would utilize for like every movie is <laughs> yeah. personal character conflict bad guy is involved with their character conflict somehow we don't know how they've risen up and they have to go to feed him i mean i think this is just a very like stereotypical type underdog story which is fine it's a kid's movie i don't know if they're doing a whole lot to to try and change that though yeah i, I feel like the first one is by far a more stereotypical one than this one is but i i will agree with you i think that you know there are a lot of stereotypical elements to this one and the first one. Um, I feel like this one has a lot more intrigue just because it is about Poe finding out where he came from. Um, he's finally trying to find out his legacy versus the first one is he's trying to fulfill the de his own destiny, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that one we've seen, we've seen a lot. It just it has a new coat of paint almost. Still good, but a new coat of paint nonetheless. This one, I think, has a, lot, a few more things that go toward it. Um, at least that I think help out where it is a bit more cliche. Um, and that's, I think, where they go with the character of Poe because they kind of break him down there towards the, the third act. And I think those are the scenes where I'm like, okay, I'm kind of getting into this. I am surprised that they're going down this route, you know, this more emotional one, which I wasn't really expecting. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I agree to a point. I think that there are definitely, you know, cliche elements to it. But there are elements that I think at least work well enough um, to not bother me as much. I think they do too. I'm just wishing for a little more, maybe a little something different. It's a, I think they're playing it a little too safe, especially between these first two movies. Now I realize it really is just a safe retelling of these stories we've seen over and over again. It's not a deal breaker for me. And mind you, this is made for all audiences, but it's something I couldn't help noticing. But ultimately, my biggest disappointment with this movie is <sighs> these movies so far I've noticed can't figure out really how to have the good guy defeat the bad guy. Or they mm -hmm. even try and make it somewhat of a mystery, it seems like. In the first one, they kind of set up the wishy finger hold. And that's what Poe figures out. And that's kind of the trick at the end is he, oh my gosh, nobody knew that. I think this one is even worse because Poe's final move is barely set up by Shifu in the beginning. Poe is never taught it. It's never brought up again. And I, honestly, recording right now, I'm even struggling to remember what it is. It's just something Poe kind of comes along 
it's where he like rolls the water droplets around mm-hmm. on his he sees shifu doing it and poe realizes i could kind of harness that with the cannonballs it's a weird logical leap i i don't even think poe ever makes i think that's just something the filmmakers are trying to you know compare together it just comes out of the blue for me i was just like oh that's random i guess it didn't work for me i was disappointed by it yeah uh, I'll, I'll disagree with you on this one um so here's how i see it at least you're right they do bring it up um with shifu at the beginning and shifu mentions when you learn inner peace then you will be able to perform this right so it sets up that this is what poe needs to overcome and obtain is this thing of inner peace in order to later on defeat you know the villain right so I feel like when it comes to that portion, I think I think you're right. You know, it's set up once and then brought back at the very end. It's Chekhov's inner peace, I guess. <laughs> um, but it, it is I, it is something that I feel like is called back to a number of times that this idea of peace, right? Not necessarily the, you know, that he can take the water droplet and maneuver it around and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's just more of a visualization of obtaining this thing. Um, but the... But the theme, which is a, that of obtaining peace, is something that only Poe was able to get between him and, and Shen, right? So I guess I did. I saw it kind of the opposite way. I felt like it was. I felt like it was better when it came to the Wushi. I, I felt like it was better than the Wushi finger hold. The Wushi finger hold didn't really have. I felt like a whole lot of stuff going to it. Whereas this one, you know, it's tied to that idea of inner peace and Poe has to obtain that. He has to be okay and understand, you know, where he came from and what happened uh, in order to defeat, you know, the thing that's going against him. Whereas Shin is the complete opposite. He has no, he doesn't want nothing to do with it. And it's the thing that also helps destroy him in the end. So that's kind of how I saw it. I think what would make me feel better about it is if we saw Poe in the second act, like maybe when he's up in the tower or something, maybe trying it and failing and that would really, you know, make him more dejected because he was trying it and he didn't, it didn't work. He doesn't have the inner peace yet. And then in the third act at the end, he does have the inner peace. He is able to overcome that because I think the only other time we saw him try this move was with the soothsayer and he was like rolling the water around like remembering his past which mm. i don't understand what rolling water around on your body does have to do with inner peace i don't know i'm probably reading too much into it i think i don't i don't have a problem with the move clearly because i said it was a really cool thing at the end i just felt like they need to set this up better because pose like final move for me anyways was like, oh yeah, didn't Shifu kind of do that? And once again, we're going to see this in the third one. I, I, I will save my thoughts on that for next week. But I am just kind of noticing these movies are kind of cribbing off each other a little too much in some ways. I, I mean, you're right. The wishy finger hold was just kind of like, what? But this one, I get it. It has a little bit more to it. I guess I'm just needing more setup in order to buy it. That's just me. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. And since since I see it as more of a visualization of obtaining that inner peace, mm-hmm. I'm okay with it, you know, showing up at the beginning when Shifu's showing it off and then only showing up at the end, even though I feel like, even though, even though I see that, you know, that theme of obtaining peace is prevalent throughout this entire film. I guess like, I guess the only really small thing for me, um, is that while I do like the care, I do like the villain of shit. I want kind of want more of him. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, uh, I would like to see a lot more of him in he, this movie. I think that he's about on screen. Actually, I think he's on screen more than Tai Lung is, um, if I'm not mistaken. These movies are both about the same length. I think all three of these movies are actually about the same length. But Shin has more screen time. But I would like to see more of him. I guess it's a good thing. Um, and also kind of masks as a bad thing that I want to see more of the villain when he has more screen time at least compared to the villain that happened in the last movie. Yeah, Shin is a fairly one-dimensional character with a world domination motive, which I think mm-hmm. is disappointing. And they draw, they really draw attention in the beginning about how his parents were so disappointed and rejected, uh, rejected him. And he wanted to prove them wrong. He thought he would be proud of them. That never quite enters back into the story. Uh, 
I almost feel like something is cut because Shen tells Poe that his parents never loved him. And that's really hard for Poe to take. But we never see Shen struggle with that as well, even though we know that was hard on him. We saw that in the beginning. It is weird because Tai with Tai Lung, we understood that he was always kind of the chosen one, seemingly. And he we've seen this a lot. The apprentice is kind of rejected. I'm talking about you, Star Wars. Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Tai Lung becomes the bad guy. We get mm-hmm. it. We've seen it. But so I, in some ways, I feel like Tai Lung had a bit more dimension to him because he's back for revenge. He's back to claim what he believes is his. And he kind of has that, you know, jealousy going on there. This one is, hey, I just, I just want to take over. And that's about it. So you're right. There's a lot of missed opportunity here with this character, unfortunately. Yeah, I would say that, um, I think I, I do agree with you to a point. Um, I think that Shin is the, well, obviously Shin's the complete opposite of Poe, right? Um, whereas Poe was able to, move along from what happened between him and his parents, Shin only has remorse for that such a thing, um, which only leads to him being defeated in the end. I think my criticism was more of that, well, that is partially true. I would like to have a little bit more of Shin in terms of just him on screen presence, but also diving deeper into his character. Um, I would have liked to have seen, you know, Shin do more Shin things at the end of the day. Um, I'm not necessarily, I don't have a problem with, you know, where his character goes, um, in terms of, you know, how deep it goes as much as you. Um, but it is also one thing that I would like to see more of. Well, Alan, I'm pretty curious. What is your rating and recommendation for Kung Fu Panda 2? So as I mentioned, it had been a number of years since I've seen Kung Fu Panda 2. I remember liking it. So my score for Kung Fu Panda 2, when I watched it many years ago, um, I gave it a 7. Um and I remember liking it. I remember being surprised by, you know, how much emotion it pulled out of me, considering what the movie is, um, and was very surprised by a lot of the action scenes that are, I felt like were a step up from last time. And there are a lot of things in this movie that I feel like are a step up from last time. Of course, action, of course, animation. But I would even argue, like we've kind of been talking about here a little bit, I would argue to some extent, even the story, I feel is a step up from last time, where I think it just goes a little bit deeper. It probes a little bit deeper into into, into Poe, has a different adversary that hits him a bit more emotionally, those kinds of things. It's a lot more of an emotional film. Um, than the last one, how I guess how emotional you can get with a Kung Fu Panda movie. Um, so I was very surprised to have it coming back to this because I remember liking it, like I said, but I hadn't returned to it. I didn't remember a, a whole lot about it compared to that first one, which I've seen many, many times. I think I've only seen this one maybe twice now, three or four times after this review. Um, I gotta say, I I surprisingly really enjoyed Kung Fu Panda 2, even more so than the first one. Um, so I think I'm going to land on an eight out of 10. It's going to be a recommend from me. That's interesting. I, uh, I wasn't sure. Well, Kung Fu Panda 2 surprised me after highly enjoying the creativity of the first, I was worried Poe's second adventure would suffer from sequelitis. I'm happy to report it really doesn't. Yes, this plot is a little more rote than last time. In retrospect, both Tai Lung and Shin are one-dimensional, but I like better the harbinger of Tai Lung and the question whether Poe will be able to actually stand up to him. This time, I already know what Poe can do, and we spend more time with this villain without creating any real emotional conflict in him. It's, it's disappointing. Having a one-dimensional villain, a mostly basic plot of stopping him, is sadly generic, but at least the filmmakers do it with pizzazz. I found myself constantly engaged in this sub 90 minute film. The action is exciting. I think even better than last time. The writers bring the humor once again, although I am missing some of Jack Black's ad-libbing. I like that the storytellers give us Poe's backstory. I found it run of the mill while surprisingly copying the biblical story of Moses and Jesus is a welcome surprise, I will say. There is a missed opportunity here to focus on the mirror backstories of Poe and Shin. Shin left his parents in anger, whereas Poe's parents sacrificed their lives because they loved him. There are hints of those character conflicts in this movie, but unfortunately it's missing. The scores, though, don't lie. Critics and audiences were pumped about this one for a reason. I'm happy to say this animated sequel is worthy. 
Kung Fu Panda 2 receives 7 stars out of 10 with a solid recommend. I wondered, I wondered if I would give the same score that I had before, I would, which is also the same one that you gave, a 7. I wondered if I would go down that route before I watched it. Um, I was surprised that I liked it even more, a little bit more than a 7 this time around. Yeah. I didn't think that I would like, I thought it would be about the same for me as number one, but it's a little bit better in my eyes. I was surprised too that you like this one better than two. You are somewhat in the minority judging by the overall score. It's, it's confusing because some scores say three is better than two. Some scores say three is just as good as one. But yeah, there's, there's definitely a camp where you're at, Alan, where people do like the, second one better than the first one as of right now i'm not quite there i think they're close i still think the first one is a little better for me there's a lot to love in the second one but i will be curious revisiting this sometime later and seeing if maybe the second one's a little better Mm -hmm. i don't know as of right now it's very close but i'm still going to give it to the third one which is kind of funny because we both switched from last week (laughs) right right so Alan, I know you used to own this in your collection, but you don't anymore. Would you pick it up again? Yeah, I think I said last time I'd probably end up picking up Kung Fu Panda. So I definitely would, would want to be picking up Kung Fu Panda 2. Um, I was looking at Blu-rays the other day, so that's a good sign uh, for both of them. Um, and I hadn't seen the third one yet at the time when I was looking. So also partially looking for the the third one too without getting the whole box set so we'll see when the third when we record the third one next week if i would like to pick it up on blu-ray um but for two absolutely yes i'd probably end up getting it at some point i would pick it up on blu-ray also i really do want to see this movie in hd i think we both watched it in standard definition Mm -hmm. think so yeah yeah so i i think i'd like to see this one in hd i think it would look really good um but We'll see next week. I'm going to hold judgment as well whether I want to pick up the trilogy or just the first two. I'm not quite sure yet. But, Alan, do you have any other TV or film recommendations for our listeners after this one? I do. Um, There's a movie called, is it by DreamWorks? I don't think it's by DreamWorks. No, it's by Sony Animation. Um, The Crudes. It's it stars Emma oh, Stone. It stars okay. um, Nicolas Cage. A couple other people too. <laughs> um, that's a movie where uh, I I forget how I saw it. Uh, maybe it was an ex girlfriend of mine showed it to me or something, and I showed it to my family. And next thing we know, it's a favorite of the family for a number of years. And now I've seen it like <laughs> a dozen times, and I can't stand it. <laughs> um, oh gosh! <laughs> but it is a movie that reminded me a lot of this one, where it's kind of just a surprise. Um, so I would recommend The Crudes. It has been a number of years since I've seen it, but again, it, I remember it being a surprise. So I just checked, and The Crudes is done by none other than DreamWorks Animation. Okay, maybe it was DreamWorks, and I, I guess I had in my mind that it was somebody else. Well, I'm going to be recommending a DreamWorks film as well. I'm going to be recommending The Prince of Egypt. I know that I brought it up earlier in the podcast, but if you're looking for a similar story, The Prince of Egypt is a fantastic DreamWorks movie that... That I now own on Blu-ray, actually. I Same. picked it up. It was it was really cheap on Blu-ray not that long ago, and I, I, I nabbed it because that movie doesn't go on sale very often. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think I did the same thing. So there is quite a few developments. No way in the world it are... Now that Kung Fu Panda is a billion-dollar franchise, mm-hmm. are they not going to do anything else with this IP? So... Four years and eight months later, audiences got the conclusion to the trilogy. But DreamWorks is still on board. It was actually distributed this time by 20th Century Fox. They don't really get a logo. No, they do get the logo at the beginning, actually. I forgot about that. Yeah, they do. Um, It kind of comes as a a little bit of surprise, almost like the movie's beginning. But yeah, that is that's a good point. It is kind of weird. Um, But they dropped it in January. Uh, yeah, we'll talk uh, about that uh, next week at the at least in the in the your guide portion for this movie about like kind of yeah. why. Yes, so we will talk in January. It's a long time, but there I think there's a reason why 
Nickelodeon got a three-season, 78-episode, half-hour children's show titled mm-hmm. Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness, which followed the adventures of Poe and the crew. It premiered four months after the second film, and it ended five months after the third film came gotcha. out. So there also were two shorts released between this movie and the third movie. There was a f- original short called The Secrets of the Five that was released um, a couple months after the first film. Um, so the first short that came with the DVD of this one was Kung Fu Panda Secrets of the Masters. And then the other short was Kung Fu Panda Secrets of the Scroll, which was released 24 days before the third film. So and I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that stuff in the next review because I did get to watch most of these that I'm talking about here. So audiences did have their fill of Kung Fu Panda. There oh, wasn't yeah. a time that went by where you couldn't watch a Kung Fu Panda short. You couldn't watch a Kung Fu Panda, tune into it and watch it on TV. So while it was absence theatrically for about half a decade, it was thriving on the small screen. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, the question after the show is, if a peacock tried attacking you, would you be scared or would you just laugh? I've I've never seen a peacock get menacing. I have seen a peacock and I have seen a peacock spread its wings, but I haven't seen it attack anything. (laughs) Usually they just kind of run away. They don't like it. Yeah, I I might laugh a little bit, but I might run um, because if they react anything like geese, those things are territorial and mean and they will hiss at you until Mm -hmm. you get away. Oh, yeah. Well, Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe. Your guide to Kung Fu Panda 3 drops on Thursday. That will get you prepared for our final review so far anyway in the Kung Fu Panda so far anyway trilogy of movies i'm very interested to talk about that one i don't know alan and i might might have a big debate on our hands it's it's very possible we will see but listeners you won't want to miss that so don't forget to click subscribe and we will see you next week with kung fu panda 3. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.